Chalotiu. It's Sean Keaveney. Uh, what do you mean, who? Uh, the guy who does the lineup. It's not just me here, though. Say hello to my little friend. That, my friends, it, no, it's not a machine gun, but it is my weapon of choice at gigs, not that I've played in it for a while. This is a Fender American Vintage 2 1957 reissue Strat. This is a devastating piece of hardware, let me tell you that. A beautiful Fender tone machine. Gorgeous. As close to the 1957 original as you can get without building a time machine. Yes, it's got a tremolo bridge, naturally. I don't know what it was that drew me into this particular model. Perhaps it was the alluring, shimmery seafoam green that, that got me to begin with. Let me just hold it up to the mic. All that gorgeous, yellowing, nitrocellulose maple, the V-shaped neck. I don't know what it is. It's hard to say what got me, but once you plug it in, it pops. It's spectacular. I can only apologise to my family and to my neighbours for my indelicate volumes. Still, if you, if you can, you've got to do what makes you happy, haven't you? That's what I say. Head to fender.com forward slash the lineup to learn more about this. Incredible instrument. And I tell you what, it's not even plugged in. It, it would be more incredible in a more incredible player's hands. That is fair to say. The anticipation is immense. You look to your left. It's too late to go to the bar. You look to your right. You don't need the loo anyway. You look over your shoulder. 50,000 strong. Look at that lot. The lineups put you in prime position. One epic shot for Instagram. And while we have you captivated, poised, ready, phone out, why not quickly jump back into your podcast platform and follow us? Go on, boom, one click. Don't miss out on the next episode of my beautiful podcast. How does that sound? Thought so. We move in Wendy's field now to what is known as the sudden set moment. That does yeah. what it says on the tin. This is a beautiful moment at any festival, of course. Uh, and there's something special about that golden light. Do you, actually, before we get any further, when you play outdoor arenas or stadiums or festivals, do you sometimes fight for that? Do you like that moment? What's the best moment for you to be playing in the day when you're hitting your favourite songs on stage? I like going on one or two uh, slots before the, 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 late, the late slot. I just like it. Uh, about seven or eight o'clock. In the summer as well, it, I, I guess. I love playing yeah. outside. Yeah. I, and I, I love it. And I'm never phased by enormous, enormous crowds. I don't mean that in, a, in an arrogant way. I get more nervy in arenas, really, because it's sort of black space. Yeah. And I've learned to kind of navigate it. And it's fine, but I either like clubs or little you know little venues or rocking whatever rocking little boxes or really big open spaces I, I kind of i really like that so playing outside is great but about eight o'clock is yeah, peak yeah, yeah it's that light isn't it especially if it's not raining if it's a nice sunny afternoon into an evening and you recently played high park yeah. Uh, and you played, and then you came back on with Veteran Co. with Pearl Jam. I saw a tiny clip of some shaky video of you playing Babber O'Reilly with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eddie's a bit of an inspirational guy as well, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Eddie's, uh, 
you know, he, he walks the walk, that guy. I, mean, I could tell you some amazing stories about him and, and what he does off stage. And he's, he's, I guess, sense of responsibility to his fans, I think, or to his audience, you know, and they've been through a hell of a lot. You know, they had a terrible tragedy in the early 2000s, happened at a concert that I think, you know, really tested the band, tested Pearl Jam, and then they came out of it with a new, renewed sense of, they rose from out of that mm. terrible sort of scenario and it really did, they, they were in doubt for a few years, I think. It stopped them, you know. And they do a lot of responsibility and they're very socially conscious and they get involved in all sorts of, all sorts of good things, mm. yeah. But he's also, he's not, but he's not like a sanctimonious, like, uh, you know, he's not, he's a, he's a lot of fun as yeah. well. He's a, he's a good fella. But yeah, I went on and played, we played played a Neil Young song with him, and which I'd never played before. Throw your hatred out, I think it's called. Or throw your hatred down. It's off Mirrorball. I had to learn that just before I went on. <laughs> it's one of your superpowers, though, isn't it? I'm always doing that. And then yeah, we played Barbara O'Reilly at the end. So that, but when I went home with him, it was about half eight, nine o'clock, I think, and the sun was going down. It's beautiful. I was going to ask a bit about that. Like you mentioned Neil Young, and I'm thinking about that puts me in mind of Nils Lofgren and people like that. And this idea of the ringer, you've talked about this before, but I want to just alight on that for a moment, you know, because as well as being fully embedded in bands, obviously most notably at the beginning with the Smith, when you moved away from that, you became this kind of um, almost like a Zelig character. It seems to me who brings the musical inspiration and the good vibes into a situation but do you think there is something in that idea of the ringer that you sort of sprinkle some fairy dust, you stay for a while, but you don't get to the centre of gravity of a band too much so you can still walk, you can still escape it without any damage being done? Yeah, well, the <laughs> any damage being done. <laughs> Not sure about that. Well, first off, I'm very good at being in bands. So that's the thing about, even though I've, you know, I appear to hop around and I've hopped around all over the place, which I have, do you know what I mean? That that's just me having my cake and eating, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> because uh, the bands I've, I've been invited to either work with on a temporary basis or certainly join. I've just been. I mean, who wouldn't? Who would turn down being the guitar player in the there in nineteen ninety or you know eighty eight? Whenever it was, I did it. And with Matt, who was one of was one of the closest people in my life. And also, given the back, what was going on in my personal life behind the scenes with the Smith split, and who wouldn't want to go out and be be the guitar player in The Pretenders and Chrissy, that again was a, you know, what people don't quite realise is it had a massive impact on my personal life as well, you know, and um, form these these relationships. But I'm also very, as I say, I, I believe I'm very good at being in bands. So when I was in the cribs, I brought stuff into the being in the band, not only in enthusiasm, but that really goes back to when I was 15, 16, you know, because it's my life. And it might be to do with decisions about you know where we're going to play or what producers we're going to use or what we're going to do that day or how we're going to your mixes or management or just all of that stuff you know it's, I'm, I'm good at it and you because you let's face facts you had to bloody manage the smiths while you were being the guitar player the yeah. producer and the songwriter yeah. well i formed that <laughs> i formed that band and i and i did the right thing in forming the band i got the right people and we loved each other and you know and then uh and it was very you know when it was good it was amazing so that's all cool um and then but I've got other stories, you know, I could talk to you all day about what happened in electronic, you know. So I've been in 
the bands I've been in has been amazing. It's been all consuming. All my fam my family get involved in it. And it's the same with Modest Mouse, five years of my life You'd living in moved Portland. Moved to Portland, yeah. Yeah. But then um the ringer thing to get back to that, you know, Nils Lofgren's done it with playing with Bruce Springsteen and he was in Neil Young's band. See, when I first discovered Nils Lofgren, I'd heard about this 17-year-old who bust into Neil Young's dressing room in Chicago backstage and played in these songs and Neil Young went, oh man, you're amazing being my band. And I think there's something very heroic about that. As long as it's, gen you know, as long as it's, there's a sincerity in it and there's a, yeah. you know, committed. So, so for instance, when I played in The Pretenders, I felt that was my role really. You know, I was the third guitar player to be in The Pretenders, so no one was thinking that, you know, we were, it was a fluid kind yeah. of situation. And I just thought, the easiest way of putting it, I think, how good is it? Being me. I know. <laughs> Do you ever, does it ever... That's not to say that life is a complete doddle. I don't mean it would be really glib about that because no, but like, you, like anybody else, I'm, you know. It's great to appreciate the good stuff, but like, is it difficult? Do you ever have moments where people are a bit overawed and you have to get over that? Do you, do you get Do you get a little bit of... You know, Johnny Mars in the band, you know, do, do you have to get over a certain amount of that sometimes or is it just always uh, mixed together? Um, you know, well, the, the honest answer to that is I think, so say the Cribs who were younger than me and they were fans um, or Modest Mouse, when I joined Modest Mouse, were adults and there's a lot at stake. So those particular people, Isaac Brock and the rest of Modest Mouse and the Jarman brothers, yeah, it's like there might be a little bit of like, and particularly, you know, when the media, when, when we're doing interviews for the first time in church, like, what's it like having a legend in the back? You know, it's funny with the cribs, right? It was a little bit like they were talking to me, like they're almost what to say, hey, with these young kids, it's all Xboxes, eh, Johnny? <laughs> uh, what's What must it be like being around these, like, these, these iPhones and social media? Like I'm sort of, you know, from like the 19th century. They wheeled me out and they say to him, yo, you know, you know, talking to me, what's it like? Does he live? Do you come down to breakfast and he's behind a beaded curtain? You know, he's not John McLaughlin. Oh, who is one of the ultimate greats. I mean, have you ever met him? I mean, he's uh, like, I've never actually met him, but I imagine it's like meeting Buddha or something. I, uh, I deliberately, I was off, offered the opportunity to meet John McLaughlin. I don't know whether he's aware of this. Only a few months ago and I elected not to. Right. Because he's so yeah. on, on a, on a plinth essentially. Yeah. Funnily enough, me old mate Mark King, pretty good mates with John, played with him quite a lot. And he's, he seems like a pretty down-to-earth dude. He's the greatest guitar player that's ever lived, John McLaughlin. He, he's not everybody... What he's, he's, he's choice in music because he's coming from jazz and fusion and all that. But the al album My Goals Beyond is, you know, absolutely genius music and, and the early Mahavishnu stuff and all that. I mean, I was going to put Mahavishnu when opening the festival, but I thought it might blow people's minds. Well, the, maybe we can put them at the end. They can just do a whole playout section. I might do that. Well, that should bring us back, actually, to our sunset act. Who should we put on as our penultimate? Penultimate act? I, I don't know if you saw the Pet Shop Boys at Glastonbury this year. I was really pissed off that I didn't because I, I as usual I have to leave on Sunday and uh, everybody the the, the, so, uh, the socials were alive with it have you been seeing the Pet Shop Boys set oh mate well, I mean you've worked with yeah guys, well I, I um I went to see this this show the show they did at Glastonbury uh, a few weeks before and I can't you know countless times I've seen Pet Shop Boys and I play with them a lot one of the things I'm most proud of is that I appear on more Pet Shop Boys records than any other musician, which is... Uh, that was news to me until I did my book. And, uh, That's brilliant. And, and it's a brag that, okay, it's a brag, but 
That's a good one. Sod off. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so, but why I mention that is when I saw him a few weeks ago, I just couldn't believe how good it was. I was so happy to be in the audience and not waiting to come on. And, you know, genuinely, yeah. I was so proud of them and I was so impressed. It was amazing. So then when they went on and did class me the day, I just thought, oh man, they've just completely killed it. They've owned it. And the songs and the presentation and Neil singing. I always say this every time I say, I said, Neil, that's the best I've ever heard you singing. I say it. And she says, you always said it to me every time. <laughs> I mean it though. He's so, still improving, do you think? I th yeah. I think he's, you know, he, with Neil, when I first worked with him on our stuff, when he came to sing with Electronic, I'd already done a couple of tracks on their second album and then a few weeks later they came up to be to work with me and Burning Electronic. And the best way I can put it, I turned up my engineer, so I'd not worked with Neil before. I'd not heard him sing, right, in the studio. And I was producing. So I put the mic up, puts his headphones on, and he, I turned to, I think it was Owen Morris or whoever, and I just said, the microphone really likes him. <laughs> he's got that that kind of voice and I've heard that said I think I, that was something I heard someone say about David Crosby and also about Art Garfunkel mm. he sings in a similar range yeah. really pure yeah. but also really present so I've been in the studio I've been very fortunate to be in the studio with when Neil sang got, got behind the microphone and gone oh I've got an idea for a vocal or I'm going to do the vocal and I, I always think of that I think Wow, the microphone really likes God, it. It's, an, it's a wonderful quality for a vocalist to have, isn't it? Because I guess there must be others that you have to do quite a lot of work to get get the sound in the right place, whereas with somebody like Neil, obviously that's not the case. Yeah, it sounds like a record straight away. Well, his melodies are brilliant. So I thought, yeah, I thought they, they, they were just fantastic. And I think they once told me off for saying this in public, but very, very industrious people. They work and work and work. That's the... I read, a, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to bring up get, uh, Let It Be and the Beatles, but somebody hit me with a, hit me with a spade. But it, it's, I remember reading some article that was entitled The Banality of Genius. And that's what the, the Get Back film showed, is that everybody thinks the Beatles are geniuses and that's that. And they've just, they've been, they were born into it and they're brilliant. No, it's like you have to work your nuts off. You have to work your ass off to get to a point where you can deliver something as great as that. Yeah, all, all the, Great people that I've seen firsthand are, um, you know, really, uh, they really work. And most recently, I'll tell you who's blown my mind in that respect is Alicia Keys. You you played with her, didn't you, recently? Yeah, I played with her. Yeah, I did play with her recently, yeah. She, it's one of those things about, you know, like leading by example, you know. She's so impressive. There's no question that everyone around her is uh, is absolutely bringing their A game mm. because cause she yeah. does. Yeah. She does, she's like always, you just are really, really on it, you know. But I think everyone, um, I think it's the quality of that, really great people, really. Well, so Pet Shop Boy's brilliant idea for the sunset moment. I'm imagining it would be quite quite a theatrical performance uh, with a lot of work in it. And Neil's delivery, it's, it's everything, isn't it? Because it's it's sardonic, it's funny, it's but it's really emotional as well. And it's it, contemporary. I think yeah. I think it does what great pop music should do in that it feels like you know. I mean, he can be you know, there's, he's literary, but um, they you know it feels. I mean, Chris is just such a modern person. You know, you just look at Chris and you think, okay. And he's uh, fun. He's just a funny guy. It seems to me. <laughs> I mean, I've not, I, I hardly ever hear him speak, but when he does, it's like nine words that floor you. It seems to me. 
Because he's amazing, because he's got that thing that um, actually in real life you wouldn't recognise him, but when he puts, he's the opposite yeah. of most other people. When he yeah. walks down the street, it's so brilliant that he's done that. Put his quite, hat on and that's oh, right. quite conscious because he's really into being anonymous and just being a, a person. He's not someone who needs to be recognised yeah. at all, you know, which is a great quality, I think. It's, I always get really envious of people like Daft Punk as well. You've had the genius move right at the beginning to go, this is going to be our look. And it means that I can be Thomas Bangalter and I can sit on the tube and I've written some of the biggest hits of all yeah, time right, and you yeah. will not know who I am. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. amazing, isn't it? We're thinking maybe Alicia could come on and do a bit of a, do a song or two of the Pet Shop Boys, actually. Just, I don't know. That's a great idea. Do a version. That's... It seems a shame not to use her. She's knocking about. You're being creative now. I'm Sean, just, like well, it. this is a first time for everything. I love that. I just wanted to ask as well before we move on, is there a thread, a common a commonality between the people that you work with? Do you think that there is a, uh, a, a, a particular outlook or a particular vibe or a particular quality that links most of the people that you've worked with together? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think everyone I work with doesn't take for granted what they do. You know, especially is if I had to just scan everybody mm. very quickly, they're all successful and they've all got some humility about them, I think. That's most good. People, you know what I mean? Uh, and they love, uh, when I think about all the people I really love who I've worked with, you know, I think they they really, they know that um, we all know, know collectively, we all love what we do, mm. you know, I think. I think that's that's the thing that I have in common with them, you know, that. That gives us some common ground. Yeah. In a way, we honour honour it. Yeah, you know, there's uh, different levels. It's your career, it's your job, it's your livelihood, you're supporting, you know, in some cases, an army of people who've been with you for years, in the case of Pearl Jam, for example, and other people that I've worked with, you know, you've got responsibilities and there's all these other aspects to it. But, you know, all my, my friends in music, they kind of honour it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've heard you, you've, you've said that to me actually over the years and it's been very helpful is this idea of honouring your talent because it's that's a different thing than being big-headed about it or getting ahead of yourself or becoming an egotist. It's it's like understanding that if, you, if you've got a talent for something, whatever it might be, you've got to honour it. You've got to get it out there and exercise it and show it to people. Yeah, well, I think, well I just, I'm just riffing it. I mean, this is a feeling, but I think honouring it is the opposite of being arrogant or mm. big-headed about it because it's something that you have, it's, you're constantly aspiring to be good enough I think to be to you know you aspire to doing something great and you, you've got to try and you know jump up yeah jump up to it you've yeah. got to try and reach to it whether it's writing a, a single that's worthy I, I don't think about the songs I've written I'm just thinking about the ones the that I'm one. trying to write yeah some absolute bangers on this new record though oh thanks Sean I'm cheers yeah you, you yes. yeah I don't know why Ghost is writing my nut at the moment uh, there's something about the production on that as well it's just absolutely... Ghost was the first one that I wrote for it actually which is great that people have, have dug that one it's like yeah it's not like anything I've done before that really so no it's good I'm glad you like it yeah there's a lot I mean you know we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of the runway here and I've got so many other things to, to pack in I, I, what we usually ask is uh, around this moment is who's in your crew when you're watching if you're watching this perfect festival who would it be but seeing as it's kind of at your house I imagine it would be quite a family affair but I, I wanted to quickly touch on that really like you know you had a like me I think you, you're a close-knit northern family 
um, and a lot of love. And then, of course, at a very young age, you met Angie, the love of your life, who's, you know, been there every step of the way. Is there something about that? I mean, because I, I feel pretty blessed and lucky about my that happening to me. You know, is there something about that that infuses your life with confidence to do things, to become the creative person that you can be and honour the talent? Well, I've said this before, but meeting Angie made me brave. And and I think on different levels, I think that's still the case, really. You know, I mean, you've got your... Because she's so smart as well. And, you know, you've you know, you've met Angie. She's, she's not only nice, but she's really smart and very wise without telegraphing that. She doesn't sit there. You know, not everyone kind of likes her, you know. But obviously I've had a bit, well, on the face of it, a very charmed life. But... We'd, there's been some tricky, like everyone's life, there's been some sort of tricky times and it continues, you know, that's the way life is. Uh, so not only having that companionship, but having companionship with someone who's so bloody smart since I was 15 is, uh, you know, I mean, oh, God, thank God for that. <laughs> you know, Jesus, because um, some of the scenarios that I've found myself in, sometimes caused by my own, you know, weirdness. I can't really imagine that I would have uh, survived it, really. And I'm not just talking about taking loads of drugs and being nutty, you know, just all kinds of stuff, really, pressures. And um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely going through life with with a companion, it makes life half as difficult, yeah. I think, in some ways, you know. And I hope she, you know, thinks the same way about me. I'm pretty sure she does. It's been like 40 years or something now we've been together. So... Obviously, feel very grateful. The thing is, sometimes about my relationship with Angie, because she's kept herself really, really private and under the radar. Occasionally, people with the best woman in the world think, "Ah, oh, okay, well, this guy's been able to keep his feet on the ground because he's got the dutiful, you know, grounded. You know, when he goes off to fight the indie wars, he's got this very grounded woman in the background. She, we're very alike. She." As you know, she's been in. She was in the studio at four o'clock in the morning with, with us, and she knows when to put herself, take herself out of a situation, put herself in a situation, and be around. And my point is, she wasn't stood with an apron on at the kitchen, waving to me as I walked down the garden path to fight <laughs> the indie wars. Go, okay, you come back in a few weeks. She was on the front line yeah. in rehearsal rooms and in studios, but she can just hang and make herself invisible yeah. in a way. And everyone, all the you ask anyone who I've been in a band with, and I mean anyone, all right, anyone, they all love her a bit. She's just the coolest, yeah. you know. So, oh, yeah, yeah, man, that's amazing. And she'll be there. Uh, well, I mean, she ain't got much choice really because it's essentially in your back garden. Um, you know, the veranda, uh, looking out to uh, the incredible. Um, well, I don't know. She doesn't know about it yet. She will when she hears this. Oh, sorry about that, Ange. If that's the case, if it's news <laughs> to you at this juncture. I'm sorry about that. We're looking at Wendy's field. Uh, the Pet Shop Boys and Lissy Keys have just finished. Um, it's getting a bit dark now. The horses are extremely confused. Um, <laughs> they really enjoyed Patty Smith's set, that's for sure. She played the entire album for them, uh, which was great. And before we get to it, before you actually announce the final one, as well as family and friends and nearest and dearest, if there was any famous musician or person from the olden times or even now who you would ha could have in your crew to sit uh, on your veranda and watch this with, who would it be? An author, musician, doesn't matter who it is, just out of interest. Well, I think, because we mentioned Friedrich Nietzsche mm. and Aldous Huxley, mm. you know, like uh, the Glasgow thing where you've, I've seen, I'm just going to go off piece to it mm. a little bit, but 
I'm seeing an opportunity for um, it, maybe yourself and Friedrich Nietzsche. You know, like oh, this is what I'm talking about. Because we've got. Don't laugh like so, that, Nat. That's not. That's not polite. We've got. I don't know what you call it. That anchor person. I think people have called me that before. <laughs> Was it anchor? What an anchor! <laughs> what an anchor! Yeah, I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the yeah. So we got. So we. Lauren's good. Yeah. So we've got Lauren and we've got and Mark Radcliffe's good. Yeah, I've Mark involved. These are all geniuses of I've broadcasting. Mark, and, and you can come along too, Sean. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> and um, Aldous Huxley, I think he'd be good. <laughs> and Friedrich Nietzsche. I'm going to sort of beef this up. I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, I think that you know the likes of Lauren and the Marks and me should be there or thereabouts. But I think it would be great if announcing the bands, sort of flim-flamming between Frederick Nietzsche and Aldous Huxley. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah would just be absolutely yeah. brilliant. Well, we've got a fern in there as well, because fern's great. Right? <laughs> well, fern, but, yeah. Oh, with, that's great. With what? Nietzsche and, and, and Aldous Huxley. Never experienced, in all in all the times we've done this, nobody's ever got great philosophers to introduce the bands. Well, they can explain the whole transcendent yeah. nature of... <laughs> I love it. What What's going on? Oh, but Bertrand Russell is here and he's going to introduce exactly. Bonobo. Yeah. That kind of thing. So it, I think yeah. every act should have a different classic philosopher. Oh, I could have Schopenhauer them. then, I think. And, and also and Goethe as well. Goethe. Yeah. Goethe. Yeah. It's a shame that Ch Chaz and Dave aren't playing because Goethe could introduce Goethe by Chaz and Dave. Don't ever lose that, Sean. I love it. That was a good app, wasn't it? If I do say so myself. A classic, some might say, be so bold. Uh, very much like the Fender American Vintage 257 reissue Stratocaster that I've got nestling on my knee as we speak. I didn't have to read that because I'm obsessed with Fenders. This is the Seafoam green one with the V maple, shallow maple neck, nitrocellulose finish. Looks like it's come straight off Leo's workbench in 1957. Couldn't get it better with a time machine, as I've said. Every time I pick it up. Honestly, it does. It inspires me to create. Much to the chagrin of my wife. I've re I, look, this song's just tumbled out of me. Listen to this. Fender, the Telecaster, the Stratocaster. You are the master of guitars and whammy bars. Yes, you are. Bless! As you might notice, it's not its not even plugged in. Wait till you hear what it can do when it's plugged in to an amp. It's not plugged in because my amp's very heavy and it's downstairs and I'm in the top room. They are just spectacular things, things of great beauty for people with taste and discernment. So you can hear the guitar in action at fender.com forward slash the lineup. Check it out. Check them out and check out the streaming services over the next few weeks to see how far up the charts my Fender Telecaster Stratocaster song goes. What? Just turn it down, I've not plugged it in. <sighs> Brilliant. Uh, and it, it brings us to <laughs> the final act, uh, introduced by Goethe. Who is it going to be? Uh, Goethe is, is going to introduce, naturally, is going to introduce Sly and the Family Stone. 
Not the first showing for Sly and the Family Stone. Ah, um, okay. Because they are... Right. Well, you tell me. Uh, um, you know, I mean, because I know that as, as well as all the the things that, you, you know, you, you, James Williamson, the Stooges, Velvet Underground, Patti Smith, Neil Young, Burt Yanch, you know, all these different uh, the tributaries feeding into the, the Mar sound and the, the milieu. spots coming out the milieu I know that the you know you also the the funk and the girl groups and the Motown so what Sly and the Family Stone got that you know, nobody else has got okay so the Sly and the Family Stone as a kid I saw these compilation records uh, that were out in the 70s were brilliant 20 dynamic hits and um, Family Affair was on one of them and I listened to it I'm like maybe 10 or 11 then amongst all these other amazing songs and it was in the charts, and I thought, what? This is just such an arresting, weird record. But it was a pop record. I thought, oh, okay. If you listen to Family Affair, it's very, it's dark, but beautiful at the same time. It's just a, such an unusual hit. And it's one of the, a great example of what makes, why pop music is, is an incredible art form. And that's, uh, yeah, I said it. But, all right, so, it I'm totally is. so I'm pretentious. Here's a really good example of it Family Affair. It's made by someone who is not living a regular life, who is really an outsider. Uh, yeah, all right, there's drugs involved, but it's just. But listen to what's been produced yeah. there. And same with Running Away by Slam mm. Family Stone. They're both, they're not bangers. So anyway, that was my introduction to them. So I knew them as this peculiar pop group when I was a little kid. And then as I got older, found out more about them, the Woodstock film and all that. Then in the late 80s, post-Smiths were getting electronic together. I was in California and my manager at the time was a really big fan. And he was always singing hot sun and uh, hot fun in the summertime. He would sing that. What is that song? So I went down to Tower as it was then and I bought a bunch of Sly Stone stuff. And this is 87, 88. As I said, got Smiths, just got out of the Smiths and then I was starting to form electronic with Bernard Sumner and we were very much like the thing with electronic. What was in the air there? We didn't know other people were thinking along the same lines was this idea of an anti-band band. So in mine and Bernard's case, Bernard yeah. needed a, a refuge, if you like, and a break from the, the format of what a Manchester four-piece group is, say. And I definitely was, was needed refuge from that. But also, unbeknownst to us, there was this tsunami behind us of other people thinking along the same lines. So it's weird that not only just did I love the records of Sly and the Family Stone that I was that I'd heard in the late 80s, but I thought... I love that they were multi-gender yeah. uh, and I just thought it was so original. You know, I just, anything to get away from four lads yeah. stood up against a wall with the same jackets on, right? As great as that is, but I wanted a break from it and I thought, God, there's this band who've been doing it and listen to them, you know, and then, so I just got very, very into them. And then I remember um, Della Soul's early records, first records came out, and that sounded like it was coming from, I don't know whether they used Sly samples, but I really liked the first Della Soul record for that same reason. I just thought, this is the most modern group of all time, you know. And as I say, there's that tsunami of that, it was a great time for me in electronic, because when we formed, because as I say, there was other musicians around, particularly the UK, thinking along similar lines. You had Mark Moore with S-Express, who I thought were a phenomenal group. And then obviously Massive Attack were about to come out and, uh, you know, trip hop. And it was great. It was just, for me, it was like a fantastic, it was still great British pop music, but it was getting away from what I'd done for four or five years. And in some ways what I held dear, and I think that's very healthy. I think it's very healthy, particularly for young artists, 
to look at your, you know, look, look, look at the things that you revere and actually see the, see the opposite and be inspired by what, you know, just make a break, yeah. you know. So I, I think that is very, very healthy. So all of these things were happening for me. I hope this makes sense. I'm not rambling too much, no. but, but all this was in the air. And I just thought, this is my, this is the greatest group of all time. I was so into Sly and the Family Stone. So then I started, this is pr just still pre-internet, when I had a friend who was in Chicago and they had, knew someone at this store who had all of these old bootleg VHSs of uh, all the Soul Trains. So every time I went over there, I'd be trying, have you got any more Soul Train tapes? So I had hours and hours of Soul Train, which now you can just go and obviously on YouTube. It's amazing. So... Yeah, I became very obsessed with Sly and the Family Stone. And uh, and then, of course, you know, the um, that documentary came out that uh, Questlove did a couple of years ago. The uh, Oh, yeah, one. Summer of Soul, yeah. was it? That's incredible. Yeah. What an incredible document that is. I think in a way he was a pioneer, really. I think he was almost, where Jay-Z, I mean, I'm just, this might be complete nonsense, but where Jay-Z is now, say, yeah. you know, I think Sly Stone was earlier carrying that kind of responsibility. Absolutely huge, huge black artist. Yeah. You know what happened with, with Woodstock? What that must have done for yeah. his in his his personal life. Yeah. You know, um, what he was carrying around, particularly in that era as well. I've got a feeling that he was probably feeling quite a lot of pressure. Well, God, yeah, and you're right. You know, after the civil rights, uh, you know, this sort of 68 and the death of Martin Luther King and then the, the sort of massive civil unrest and the, you know, you're right, a black artist in that particular time, if they were switched on like he was, would have felt a massive weight of responsibility. And I just, I, I would I'd finish, imagine so, yeah. I would finish with that a little bit that, you know, you in the Smiths and beyond, you know, you're very vocal politically, brilliantly, uh, hilariously decrying the possibility that David Cameron might like the Smiths. I really enjoyed that as well. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to keep it on that tip finally, what about now? What, what about where we sit politically at the moment with the, the, all the, the picture uh, in Downing Street and stuff? We, yeah. You know, what, as an artist, does that make you feel a certain thing yeah. or want to express it in a certain way? Yeah, well, very, very incredibly frustrated at the kind of like lack of... Seemingly, the lack of transparency. I mean, first is to look, forget on whatever side of, you know, the sort of ideology that you're on, but there's the sort of, uh, the lack of, seemingly the lack of morality that's, that's been going on with the government and that the complete, like, the balls to just front up all the lies. Because one of the things about being older, as I, as I say, regardless of whether, you, you know, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, was that when I was growing up, like, any whiff of impropriety an abuse of your position meant that you had to do the honourable thing and resign. Mm. And certainly not just like be like, oh yeah, okay, I'm lying, deal with it. I mean, I might I know that's a very simplistic way of putting it, but that's as a as a person, that's what frustrates me yeah. the most. Like the fronting up of it, you know, is whoa, 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 when did we get to that yeah. place? And the all and the other complete tactic of not only riding roughshod over that kind of responsibility, human responsibility and ethics principle, of going, well, we're all living in such a deluge of information that it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll give it 48 hours and it's going to be yesterday's news. Well, I mean, because that is a thing. Yeah. It's so frustrating to me to see that, the, sort of, the, the lack of accountability and the manoeuvring of it. I'm sort of thinking that, you know, you, you want to think that when people resign that they genuinely 
with all the resignations in the in the current government, a little bit of me was sort of going a little bit beneath the surface and going, is the superhumanity there? Are they resigning because mm. they are genuinely, you know, wanting to make a point and stand up for some principle? Or is it some another bloody game? A- another slightly more self-serving motive. 100%, yeah. Well, two things there. Honour. We were talking about honour and that's kind of the entire diametric opposite, isn't it, of what we're discussing here. And and the uh, the electronic song, Getting Away With It, seems like it was written, <laughs> uh, especially for certain people. <laughs> um, but what what a, what a ride. We have to draw a line under it before, you know, the police get involved and you, you're yeah. registered as a missing person. I, st- I can't, still can't quite work out what the best way to finish, as far as what we're going to call it, is concerned. Did we? Was there a consensus on I this? I think, you know this word that we've come across, beatific? Yeah. Beatific. Yeah, but we're going to call it Beatafield. Oh, Beatafield Festival. Beta, Beatafield Festival. Right, it doesn't matter if it's clunky. That's what we're calling it. It's in Wendy's Field, and what a what a sensational day, stroke night. We've got Bonobo, we've got Franz Ferdinand, we've got Patty Smith with Iggy Pop, we've got the Pet Shop Boys with Alicia Keys and Sly and the Family Stone to finish. Plus, plus three quarters of the way through Sly and the Family Stone set. Yeah. Who's coming on, Sean? Is it John McLaughlin? Who's coming on now? No. Who's coming on? It's only now, Rogers. Hey! Oh. With Sly and the Family Stone. It's funny that they did, did they, they didn't, did they? They didn't play together ever. No, I don't think so. It's no. the sort of thing no. that should have happened and no. now it is happening. And, and you know, who oh now's, my God. who now's brought along with him? Tina Turner from 1969. Oh, we, oh, I mean. Does that work? Look at what you've done at the end. There. She's going to do Lost in Music. She's going to do We Are Family with Sly and the Family Stone. Just one of the most inspirational singers of all time, with one of the most inspirational guitarists and songwriters of all time, with one of the most multifaceted, technical, or brilliant soul funk bands of all time to finish the show. Well, you've knocked it out of the park, mate. Right. Uh, and then, and then all back to yours for a cup of tea afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's then going to continue in the style of ni- uh, Manchester 1991, I think. <laughs> My house. <laughs> Sorry, Cut. Ange. Count me in. I'll tie one on. Um, what a great, 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 great experience it is always to hang out with you, mate. But it really was just a lovely thing. The Thank lineup you so much. just dealt with it perfectly by the wonderful Johnny Marr. Thank you so much for joining us today. Lovely to see you, Sean. Thank you, Natalie. Great. What a fun thing. Till our next encounter. Abiento. And there we have it. Another vintage, by which I mean tremendous, lineup brought to you, I'm so proud to say, by Fender's American Vintage 2 guitar range. Recreations of the most iconic guitars from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, my spiritual home, built to all the original specs. If it's good enough for Pike Smith, just saying. And it's not even plugged in. Imagine what it sounds like when it is. Head to fender.com forward slash the lineup to learn more.